It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. we got a full house right now. I am John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hello. What's up, Al? And over here to my left, we have our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hi, John. Hi, Al. Hello. Guys, it's been a while since we did one of these, all three of us together. Yeah, in the same room, live <laughs> and in person. This is great. Feels like a special occasion. I think every day this season has been a special occasion so far. Well, then let's treat it like a special occasion by talking about just the most obvious of Yankee success stories this year. Why don't we go with really just chalk, if you will. Let's talk about the stuff that we all predicted would be the game changers for the Yankees this year, <laughs> by which I mean our features on Nestor Cortez and Michael King. The obvious guys. You know, I mean, I don't even know why we're bothering. <laughs> yeah, both uh, great stories and, uh, you know, kind of making our lives uh, easier you know this whole team there's just so many great stories to write about uh, it's really not a challenge to you know sit down in our edit meetings and come up with a full robust list of guys that we want to talk about and, and stories that we want to write and uh, you know I was pretty psyched to get the opportunity to write about Nestor Cortez for this month's magazine you know it, it is funny because I, I don't know I, I assume it's the same thing with you guys look the Yankees are rolling right now things are good everyone everyone always asks me oh, man, your job must be so much easier when the team's doing well, right? And I'll be honest, usually the answer is just like, it doesn't really affect me that much. You know, last year when the team was, and I'm saying this carefully, but the team was mediocre for much of the year last year through 60-whatever games. They were really just like right at that 500 mark. That was hard because you, you were trying to figure out, you know, what can you say? And other than writing about Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and Garrett Cole, there just wasn't that much to say last year. This year, it's like, look... There's no cheering in the press box, if you will, mm. but it's pretty easy uh, when you're in that clubhouse looking around that room. You see a whole lot of stories worth writing. I agree with you. And, and like speaking of the press box, like every month I write the press box column and it's an opportunity to obviously introduce the stories that are in the magazine, but also give my kind of two cents, if you will, about what's going on in and around Yankee Stadium with the team. And you're right. Some of those years there's it's a challenge because you know i can't just be fake about it and say how things are so great so great so great when maybe like you said john they're mediocre this year i can't write enough because all i can talk about all that there is to talk about is positive things whether it's aaron judge whether it's nestor cortez it's so much fun to introduce the stories that you guys are writing because they're you know they're some of the greatest successes in in the whole league right now we're at the point now we're kind of like midway through our publishing season where we're all sort of you know starting to work on our stories for the july issue and then i'm looking ahead and it's like I'm all right i'm reporting august right now yeah you are <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then i'm looking at okay after that we've got three issues left august september october and it's like boy I don't know if I'm going to have enough time to write all the stories I want to write about yeah. these guys. You know, it, some some years it's that's not the case. 
but it's just fun. I mean, God, like going to games at Yankee Stadium is fun. That it is what it is. But the example I'll go back to is last Friday night. You know, you have this 13 inning game. And I had several friends who were there that night. They're playing the Cubs, so it's a big crowd. It's a Friday night. You have a 13 inning game with no offense. <laughs> you had two solo home runs, and the place just felt electric. And it, it, and I'm not trying to say that book your ticket for the parade right now. Who knows what can happen? I'm not trying to downplay what happened last year when. For all the talk about how difficult last year was, they won, what was it, 92 games in the end and made the playoffs. I mean, you you don't know at this point what it's going to be, but I don't remember too many June games that have felt the way they felt on this homestand. It just feels like people are coming out because, man, I got to get a piece of that. I I, got to be there for this. And even Tuesday night, you know, we had, you know, we won the game, but two to nothing. and We scored both runs basically on one play. I just saw the way that inning was kind of building up and the way that things almost were about to reach a crescendo with guys on base. I haven't felt like that in a stadium in a long time where you almost knew that something was going to happen. It was almost like a foregone conclusion. We were going to do what we needed to do to score runs, take the lead, and then we did. And it's, again, that crescendo and that tremendous applause and the whole thing. I mean, it, it's a, it's every single night is exciting. And, you know, this is the biggest, most I guess, overused cliche when your team has won as many games as the Yankees have in April, May, and June. But I can't help but using it. You come to work every day thinking you're going to win that night's game. It feels like we're going to win every single day. And the amazing thing, and this can't be said enough, and I know, look, if you're watching Yankees broadcast, if you're listening to the Yankees on the radio, if you're reading with the Yankees, you're hearing this. So I apologize. Maybe this isn't new. But let's just talk about Garrett Cole for one second, okay? Garrett Cole's last three starts. One of them, he goes seven perfect, and the team scores 13 runs, and it's just a hilarious, fun, amazing game. The next one, he has less than nothing. I mean, just basically throwing the ball over the wall himself. Um, (laughs) Everything looks like it's going miserably. What a bad night. Okay, you know, sometimes the team's going to lose, but whatever. And instead, the team has this remarkable comeback in um, uh, Minneapolis. They win that one. And then there's Tuesday night, where... The team doesn't score. Two runs, basically both kind of on a bad throw and a subsequent error, and he's dominant on the mound. So those are three. They're not three wins for Garrett Cole, but they're three Yankees wins, and they were the three different ways you can win games. And you know, they, they, you can look at those in the last just the last three Garrett Cole starts. This team is winning in different ways. It is beating you up different ways every night joey gallo hitting two home runs higashioka hitting two home runs no one's safe in the cubs and there's just okay we're gonna go to 13 innings and win on a yet another jose trevino uh miracle you know performance so again i'm not like saying something new here necessarily but it's it's every night the result is kind of been the same most nights lately but they're doing it differently and they're doing it in interesting ways and they're doing it Again, maybe a 750 winning percentage isn't sustainable, but the way that they are winning, I think, is sustainable by doing it in every different way. Yeah. I mean, it's a, a different star leading the way every night, and uh, it's just so much fun to watch. You know, it was uh, it was really tough the beginning of last year when it felt like they were really only capable of winning one sort of way, where it was like if they hit like four home runs, then, you know, we'd get a win, and if it didn't, it was tough. And, yeah, this year completely, completely different, you know, Back to, I don't know if you want to call it small ball, but, but you know, being aggressive on the base paths, uh, just putting the pressure on opponents in a lot of different ways and uh, turning those into wins. It's 
fantastic to see. I think the whole foundation of this team is is just so strong. Solid defense. I mean, look at how great defensively they are at shortstop and what an important position that is. And you couldn't say that last year or catcher or really any any position, it seems like, across the whole field. How about defensive ways center fielder Aaron Judge? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> incredible. And the, and the biggest thing, in my opinion, and I know this is a great segue into Nestor Cortez, but you have five starting pitchers who literally are trying, it seems like, and, and, and actually achieving this, outdoing each other every single night. And there's very, very few nights where there is that Garrett Cole type of start where he doesn't have anything. I mean, I, I can't remember three of them. If I if I had to rack my brain and remember three starts over the last three months where they were you know really really bad, I mean I can, but it's hard, and that's I'm that's not pretty sure I can, amazing. But go on. I don't know that I can either. I was just trying to I just was trying to be the smartest guy in the room here. But to be fair and more honest, I actually can, and and that's amazing. I mean Jordan Montgomery seems to be getting better with each start, and even of course you know he's got a million great great starts that he doesn't actually have a win for or win to show for, but. The guy is incredible every time out. I mean, if it's five innings, six innings, or seven innings, he's not giving up many runs at all, if any. And Nate, this is where we can move to your story. I'm going to just kind of jump ahead of you a little bit here because I just mentioned I'm reporting in August story, and I was talking to Nestor about it yesterday. And I think that sometimes when you have a story as good as Nestor Cortez as a writer, I know I think this, I'm assuming you guys do too, you wonder... Am I making more of this than it is? Am I creating this, you know, fantasy narrative that maybe is a little bit bigger than he might view it? And instead, I was just, I'll get into later what I was talking to him about. But, you know, what he said to me, basically his first answer is, look, look at me. I'm not supposed to be here. And it was like, Mm. you know, okay, so it's not just us saying this. (laughs) 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 But Nate, I mean, that's where we want to start talking about this because Nestor Cortez, it's easy, I guess, maybe to say he's not supposed to be here. But I think you do so well in the cover story for our June magazine called Leading Man is you explain he might not look like he's supposed to be here, but Nestor Cortez has done the work to be here. He has, and that's uh, carried him a long way. Um, He's just always had this kind of feeling uh, deep inside him that not only that he could do this, that he could pitch at the big league level, but that he couldn't fail. Like that's not an option because he doesn't really have anything to fall back on. Uh, You know, that's that's what he told me, and um, you know, it's just something that it's really awesome to see. Sure, because you know everybody listening to this is a Yankee fan, and you know we want to see the Yankees do well, and it's great to see our pitchers win ball games. But I feel like Nestor's kind of mindset uh, is just something that a lot of different people can relate to. You know, he said something to me that I, I feel like I've said almost the exact same thing to you know on occasion when I speak to like college students who, who want to get into sports journalism. And, you know, he said, there's, there's guys in college right now who are more dominant than, than me, who have better stuff than me, but here I am in the big leagues. And why is that? You know, and it's, it's, I always carry that same sort of mentality, you know, every year when we 
host the NYU graduation here at Yankee Stadium. I think about all the kids across the country who are graduating with degrees in, in sports journalism and, and who would love to, they would do my job for free in a heartbeat if they had the opportunity. And I got to... I hope our bosses didn't just hear that. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to delete this part. <laughs> and I, I got to fend those those folks off. You know, I mean, I, I help them out when I can, but I don't want them to take my job. So why is it that I'm here? And it's because, you know, you got to really work hard and and there's a lot that goes into it beyond just you know the results on the pages of a magazine or the results on the mound there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you got to do right as well and uh nestor's just a great story all around it it was so fun to i mean he gave me so much time and uh was so open and honest and candid and it's you know it's so you love that as a as a reporter when you ask a guy a question and you have no idea how he's going to answer it. You know, there was we spoke for close to half an hour and uh, there was not one cliche in there. You know, I mean, there might have been a couple things that y- you maybe read elsewhere just as a result of so many people wanting to talk to Nestor and get his story right now. And I mean, there's only so many different ways you can answer the same types of questions sometimes. But uh, I just thought it, it was so refreshing to hear somebody uh, just so honest about his journey and uh He's an easy guy to root for. I think when you talk about his journey, too, what's really inspiring about it is it wasn't like a straight line or a straight climb, I guess. You know, there were a lot of peaks and valleys and, you know, where he was on on the team, not on the team with the Orioles back here. You know, how did he deal with all, you know, I guess the adversity that goes along with that while still keeping that belief and that feeling of like, I have to make it? You know, I asked him that and he just... He's always been able to maintain a really positive mindset, even when he has had those valleys. He's been able to just kind of work through them and and trust that if he puts in the work that eventually he'll he'll find a way out of it. And, um, you know, he's also had some some good people in his corner uh, along the way to help him through it. Um, The one guy he mentioned, Jose Rosado. Was a former uh, minor league pitching instructor with the Yankees organization, spent more than a decade here in our our system. And uh, he worked closely with Nestor throughout his minor league career and was really the guy who kind of put his neck on the line and said to the Yankees, we need to sign this guy. I really believe in him, which is taking a leap. You know, it's a guy who we took in the 36th round uh, back in 2013 and, you know, guy who's undersized compared to most major league pitchers, whose velocity is lower than a lot of major league pitchers. But Jose just saw something in him and and got a feeling that, you know, between this kid's heart and his determination and his stuff, too. I mean, you know, he may not throw 100 miles an hour, but he's able to do a lot of things with the baseball that a lot of pitchers can't do. He really believed in him. and, And having a guy like that in his corner has been really beneficial for Nestor. I think it's been notable, both in talking to Yankees players this year and talking to Aaron Boone and in a lot of the things that you have in the story. You know, Nestor is fun, and Nestor is quirky, and there's so many ways about the story that's just like, oh, this is just meant for, you know, us to have our day writing about. But whether it's Boone just talking about how athletic he is a couple days before he has that remarkable diving play at first base, Hmm. or the quotes that you have in your piece from all the pitchers saying, like, I don't know how he balances when he's doing that stuff. How strong must you have to be to balance when you're kind of messing with timing and using different arm angles in some ways and using different you know leg kicks that this isn't just 
oh, what a weird little situation. Ha ha ha. They're going to figure it out soon, but let's enjoy it while it lasts. I'm not a pitching scout. I'm not a, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is sustainable for a Hall of Fame career or not, like whatever. But it's not just a fluke. And, and I think that, that you make that point really clearly, both in terms of talking about who he was coming up in Miami, becoming a high school star, all, all these different things. And then looking at just the way a Garrett Cole is talking about like, yeah, man, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I mean, if more people could do it, they would. I mean, who wouldn't love to be able to kind of be three different pitchers in one almost, you know, the way he's able to attack batters with, you know, the drop down sidearm or the, you know, delay in his, his leg kick, uh, you know, all these different things that he does to disrupt hitters timing. It's not that easy to do. Um, you know, so many pitchers spend so much time focused on repeatable mechanics. You know, they want to have the same exact wind-up, same delivery every time, no matter what pitch they're throwing. And he just kind of throws that convention out the window and, and does things his own way. And uh, it is really remarkable. But it's it's also it's not just smoke and mirrors. You know, I went to. Uh, Jamison Tyone, who, you know, describes himself as a pitching mechanics nerd. And uh, he, you know, kind of marvels at at the way uh, Nestor's able to kind of keep his mechanics really in line through a lot of his body, his, his core and his trunk stay really similar, even when he's doing these crazy, like, drop-down sidearm pitches. And, uh, you know, he, Jamison was like should I be trying this? Like, this is really working out well for him. But I mean, it's 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 not that easy to do. So uh, credit to Nestor that he's able to to do that in the middle of a game and still just, you know, maintain everything that he's trying to do. I think that speaks volumes, too, about just the amount of effort he's had to put into getting this good. You know, he's not Aroldis Chapman who can just blow the ball past people. And I, I just think it says even more about the journey and, and how hard it's been and that he's not really willing to not get to where he wants to be and i'm curious as to where that will ultimately be i mean will it be an all-star appearance this year will it be you know pitching in the postseason hopefully obviously uh that's what we all hope for world series whatever it ends up being but just you know not to get too far ahead of ourselves but i i think about you know nestor cortez being an all-star and it just really makes me happy <laughs> that thought makes me very very happy yeah, I, I certainly uh, make the case for him in there that oh my God. <laughs> he yeah. should he should definitely be at Dodger Stadium next month. You know, it, it's funny, too. You know, I kind of framed the story around uh, his performance, uh, I guess it was right after Mother's Day when he, he took a no-hitter into the eighth inning against Texas. And, uh, you know, it's just remarkable to me how, you know, he just, the command of his pitches has always been his his calling card. Like, he's able to just, paint the black with an array of cutters and sliders and uh it really makes things tough on a batter so much so that when he decides to just like pump a straight four seamer right over the heart of the plate at 90 miles an hour i mean essentially uh, almost a, a batting practice type pitch it's so unexpected that they don't even swing at it half the time um and it just you know goes for another strike and i mean that day really kind of stood out to me as just uh symbolic of everything that he's become here over the last year I mean, really as you know one of the best pitchers in the american league and it's a great story we are recording this on wednesday so nestor cortez is actually pitching tonight against shane mcconaughey who you want to talk about surprises possibly in the all-star game i uh, got another one for you there but uh whatever happens i mean 
baseball isn't about just one start and there's no question at this point you know you keep adding on one after another after another and not to repeat myself but it stops being like ooh, fun story nestor cortez he 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 and it becomes hey nestor cortez might be the most dominant pitcher in the american league this year and that's pretty interesting nate it's a wonderful story leading man we are going to take a quick break when we come back we'll talk about maybe not the leading man because he comes out of the bullpen but certainly another outlier when we talk about michael king so stick with us Hi, this is Aaron Judge. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, this is Garrett Cole. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We're talking about some of the feature stories in our June issue featuring Nestor Cortez on the cover. And one of the stories that we have inside is on Yankees pitcher Michael King. John, you know, we've we've written about King before and about his really impressive repertoire and his, uh, you know, versatility, his ability to pitch out of the bullpen or, or start when needed. But what I really liked about this feature, what I, what I think makes it unique to anything we've done before is you really dive pretty deeply into the mental makeup that has allowed Michael King to have the success he's had in, in recent years. Did you know going into this story that that's how you wanted to approach it? Or is that just sort of how it evolved after after speaking with him? It wasn't after speaking with him. It was after speaking with everyone else, because the first thing they say about him is like, whew, that's a, that's a confident dude right there. <laughs> and I ended with this, not started with it. But the, there's the reality that that's not always something that goes over so well in a baseball clubhouse. And I think it was Lucas Litke who pointed out to me that they could say it because they all do like the guy. And, and Boone mentioned there are guys who can wear that cockiness endearingly and that Michael King is one of them. But then in talking to, to King, I don't want to say it's an act because I think it's I, – I, I don't think it's an act. I do think it's strategic though because he is – both charming and funny and able to laugh at himself really easily when you talk to him. But he also is explaining how he is deploying that confidence. He is explaining how he knows that if he seems like a that that's going to be harder for the hitters to deal with than if they think that he has any sense of nerves or is trembling in any way on the mound. And he uses that to his advantage. And obviously Along with that, he uses a crazy sweeping breaking ball and just the ability to, you know, get swings and misses better than pretty much anyone in the league right now. I'm curious, you know, he's so confident, whatever adjective you call it, you know, cockiness, confidence, whatever. And he's so good right now. You know, he's so effective. He's getting guys out at such an impressive rate. Was he always this confident? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a fair question. I, I don't exactly know the answer. And I, and I tried not to write a this is Michael King's upbringing type story. I, I don't think it's a new thing for him necessarily. And, and I think that he, he carries himself in a certain way. 
And this is something that I found really interesting. And I'm wondering if, if, if you guys notice this, agree with it, whatever. But if you would have asked me before I started the story, before I started working on it, how tall Michael King was, I think I would have gone around Nestor, you know, 5'11", whatever. And then you look at it and you're like, oh, he's 6'3"? Wow. That doesn't seem right. And yet when you talk to him, it, it reminds me of DJ LeMahieu. DJ LeMahieu, you talk to him and you're shocked how tall he is. Michael King, even when you're talking to him, and even though he is 6'3", and I mean, legitimately, I'm, looking, I'm 5'10", I'm looking up. He still somehow feels 5'10". He still sometimes feels on the same plane as you. And I don't know what that is, and I don't know why that is. I think there is just something about him, and I kind of get into this a little bit, and I mean, I'm really you know tiptoeing here around saying some things I probably shouldn't, but I mean, I got some stuff from Joey Gallo in here. You just get the sense that everybody who goes to bat against Michael King really wants to beat him. There's just something about him that you can tell gets under the skin of hitters. And I think that's part of just the why is this guy like this? Why is this guy so dominant? Why is this guy so good? Because again, I was watching on Tuesday night as he came into the game and now I'm really conscious of this and I'm watching him on the mound and look, we saw Stacey Sabathia on the mound. You see Ramrod Street Garrett Cole on the mound. These guys look tall. These guys look imposing. Michael King does not look imposing on the mound and yet it's not just paper. He's 6'3". I don't know if that fully answers your question but like the whole thing doesn't make sense to me and I think in some ways the whole thing doesn't make sense to him which is why he is able to verbalize so well that he is doing a Jekyll and Hyde thing, that, that, that this is conscious. Have you ever come across any other pitchers who have that same sort of on-off switch to the extent that he does? Because, I mean, I got to imagine, you know, confidence is key no matter whether you're in the batter's box or on the mound. Like, you got to feel confident up there. Otherwise, you're not going to find success. But he just seems to take it to a, a, a different sort of level, I guess. I'm not sure this is exactly the answer to that. It might be the opposite of it. And I want to be very, very clear here that I'm not suggesting that people need to bring a more macho sense to how they how they approach their life, how they approach their career, everything like that. And I'm not saying that being vulnerable is bad and any, anything like this. But now I'm going to go back to what I said maybe, so I apologize. I don't know if, how, if you guys remember Mike Pelfrey, a former Mets pitcher, but I remember years back when I was interviewing him for a story I was doing in the Mets clubhouse interviewing him, and he had just had a good outing, and he's talking to me about it. And he was just so bubbly and joyful about what he had just done, explaining why he was even like a little surprised and even a little bit uncertain of where it came from and all these things. And I'm not going to sit here and say that that conversation has anything to do with the fact that Mike Pelford, despite being a first-round pick, never amounted to more than a serviceable pitcher for a couple of years. But I also left that conversation feeling like, man, I'm not sure this guy is really a killer on the mound, in, in, in a sense. you know. And I'm not sure that, I think, God, maybe I was 25, 26 or something at the time. I'm not sure a pitcher should be being that vulnerable to me in, in that way. So uh, that's not really an answer to your question, but I have seen stuff like that before where you just feel like this guy's doing everything he can. He's, he's doing the best he can and he'll see what comes today. And with Michael King, whether he's going great or whether he's not, you just get the sense that he is saying like, I am in control of this moment and, and I have you and, and, and you are, you are going to play on my terms and you might get me, you might not, but I am, I have the ball. I'm standing on the mound. I'm in control. I think there's a, a real divide between two sets of kind of, um, mentalities so to speak one is and, and i've seen this more on a macro level like i think about the 2003 alcs when we went to game seven against the red sox the idea or the it, it felt what, what it felt like that night was 
we're going to go out and kick butt and win. And that was this aggressive feeling we had. The following year, when the Red Sox had come back on us, it was more of a feeling of, God, I hope we don't lose this game. And I think what you're talking about is almost a microcosm of that. You know, we think about it so much more in like football, contact sport. You have to have that mentality in football. You have it to be successful. You have to have that. I'm stronger. I'm tougher. I'm going to beat this guy into submission kind of feeling because it's his combat type sport. And you don't think about that as much in baseball, but it's really the same thing. John, the same thing in running. Like you have to feel like I can do what it is I can do. I can do it to the, to the best highest level I can do it if you don't feel like that and you're worried that you can't probably right to be worried I love Michael King for being so confident and having that I'm not just good I'm gonna be great I'm gonna just keep doing this and keep doing it and that's really cool and you truly do get the impression Michael King and this is a big part of the story he does not care if he is facing some 4a player in any given moment or if he's facing Vladimir Guerrero Jr. like he just says no game on man I want this I mean, the confidence has certainly helped him reach new heights this year, I would say. But, I mean, when you're talking about actual, you know, stuff and the pitching, uh, what would you kind of, in your estimation, say has been the biggest difference? I mean, he's been, this isn't the first time he's been effective on the mound, but, I mean, he's really getting the job done this year. What, What do you think has been the key there? I mean, one of the big keys is a guy who is in town as we record this, and that's Corey Kluber, who, you know, they mentioned this on Tuesday night a lot in the broadcast, but... Michael King is effusive in talking about the things that Kluber did for him in terms of teaching him that Kluber ball and the idea of having a pitch that's not really classifiable because, and maybe I'm getting a little bit too much into, you know, <laughs> crafting the story as we discuss this, because Michael King's not classifiable because because he is a starter. He has a starter's arsenal. He has four pitches, all of which he can control, but he is being deployed by Aaron Boone for one, two, or three innings at a time. And, and it's just been incredibly effective. So he has that Kluber ball. He also has, you know, a two-seamer that is just, I mean, it's cartoonish the way you watch. I, I think, you know, we were conditioned to think of, you know, wacky 12 to 6 curveballs as kind of the most fun things to watch. But now, you know, you see some of these videos of two-seamers and you watch the way they move. And beyond the fact that it doesn't seem real how you can make a ball do that, it doesn't seem possible to hit. So if you can locate a pitch that's moving backwards on a hitter and – that just is dying on them the way it is. Yeah. If you can look at that, you're going to be fine. So what he's done is just maintain all four of his pitches. He allows a catcher to call a game, not as though he's a one inning reliever. Who's just going to fire 99, 99, 99, 101, 99, but he almost is pitching like he's a starter in relief. So he's showing them everything you're not used to a lot of times this pitcher coming in for the eighth inning who's coming at you with four pitches but i mean how much harder does that make the at bat his four seamer is great he's able to put it on the black wherever he wants it his two seamer is ridiculous that kluber ball i mean my god it's just so i mean you you add all these things together and you and you see if he can harness this if he can keep it around the plate if he can draw swings which again he does better than just about anyone in the league right now it should work and right now it is working yeah i mean he's he's been a big part of the team's success so far and you know i mean we started off this podcast talking about how incredible the starting rotation has been and all all five guys just night in night out are great but i mean it sounds like you know the yanks got a pretty good insurance policy waiting down there in the bullpen if uh, michael king ever needs to make a spot start or something like that i also think we've i mean i've repeated this a thousand times already this year the, the 
success of this team is predicated on five guys that go out and, you know, give the team a chance to win basically every night. But, you know, you still have to win those late innings and look at what guys like Michael King, obviously Clay Holmes is, you know, otherworldly. And, um, but a guy like Michael King with especially Chad Green going down or Aldous Chapman going down, how important has he been to this incredible record that the Yankees have? That 26-man roster is always a puzzle. And it's not just a matter of how it fits together, but it's how you make the best picture from it. And I think one of the things that you're seeing this year is how interconnected everything is. So, for example, if you have a lot more left-handed options, and if you have a lot more diversity on your hitting roster, well, there's a reason that I don't think the Yankees have put out the same lineup two days in a row yet this season. And what that does is, I mean, if you pay attention, you know, Aaron Boone is essentially kind of running out a lineup where guys are playing eight out of 10 games and you have DJ LeMahieu playing all over the place. You have Matt Carpenter now who, who's shown some versatility and able to do a lot of different things. And each one of those pieces, so if you can put someone at second base and give Gleyber Torres a night off, well, Gleyber Torres is going to be a little fresher the next day. And if you can keep it happening over the course of the entire season that helps you obviously a lot of this depends on the yankees avoiding devastating injuries which ironically the only place they've really gotten devastating injuries is the bullpen we're talking about right now but let's look at this two ways now number one the starters are going a lot deeper than they were last year so what that means is that the yankees aren't relying on four to five relievers a night and hoping that all of them are effective and that one of them doesn't have his blow up that night conversely those starters know that the guy who's going to follow them coming out of the bullpen He's got this. So whether it's Miguel Castro or Lucas Litke or, in this case, Michael King, Boone doesn't have to chase outs with his starters more than he need. he wants to. He knows he has the bullpen to do it. So each one of those t- two things, even though they're kind of the opposite, they work together really well. That makes the whole pitching staff work better. So if Michael King, whether he's going one inning tonight or two innings or even three innings, if he alone can be the bridge to Clay Holmes, you know, you're just adding fewer variables into the situation. <laughs> I always with jokes i think we're coming up on you know the anniversary of it or maybe it was the anniversary of it i guess it was last week but the only time i've ever gone to a no hitter in my life was the six pitcher no hitter that the astros threw here and you know earlier this year the mets threw was it a five pitcher no hitter i think yeah. or Does so that count so, so you know the question is like oh which is which is you know worse and in my head it's just it's so much worse to get no hit by six pitchers because one guy no hits you you know what? That guy had it tonight. That was amazing. Six guys no hit you. That's on you. You know that that means that means that you couldn't do anything that night. And I kind of feel like that's what Boone is able to play around with with this team because there's you have all five starting pitchers right now. Lights out. We've discussed that already. And then you have this bullpen. Where's the hole right now? So I mean, it all works together in that way. Well, it's a great piece, John. It's called The Outlier. It's in our June edition of Yankees Magazine. You can also find it online at yankees.com slash magazine. Thanks for uh, breaking it down for us there, John. It's a great story. I enjoyed editing it, fact-checking it, and talking about it. Well, this is fun. I, I think we should do this all together more often, guys. What do you say? I agree. Sounds good. However, I should point out that we are actually not going to have our episode two weeks from now. We are taking a break so I can go on a long-planned vacation. I apologize for those of you who live and die by the Yankees Magazine podcast. <laughs> you can just write to us at podcast at yankees.com and let us know how we can make it up to you. But. Nate, Al, thanks so much for doing this. Thank Thank you. you. And to all of our listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, I do not know why you are not subscribed, but please make sure to do it. Also, 
rate, review us, all that stuff. Tell your friends. It really helps. You can read our content at yankees.com slash magazine. Both the Nestor Cortez and Michael King features that we just discussed are already up there, and we are continuing to put up all of our stuff in the June issue, so make sure you keep checking that. Obviously, the other great way to figure find out what we have going on is to follow us on Facebook at Yankees Magazine and on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. Lastly, of course, you can go to 800-GO-YANKS to buy back issues or to subscribe, or you can visit yankees.com slash publications. That's it. See you next time in four weeks. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.